If you look at your notes, we're going to start in uh, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And, goodness, it's been uh, almost a couple months ago we started this study uh, titled Overcoming Overload. And just kind of a kind of a, a roadmap as to where we've been, where we're headed. Uh, we spent about a year going through the book of Genesis on Wednesday nights. That was a really fascinating study. We started in Genesis 1 and went all the way through to Genesis 50, and that was a, uh, just a great time studying God's Word and, and uh, learning the foundational truths that are in the book of Genesis. And then we started this study, which I'll say some more about in a moment. After we finish this study... Uh, we're going to begin a study on Wednesday nights called Lessons from the Upper Room. And if you read the Gospels, Jesus said some very <clears throat> interesting and profound things. Well, everything he said was interesting and profound. But, but on the night before he was crucified, that, that Thursday evening in the upper room with his disciples, he really focused in on some uh, really powerful truths that are important for us to to grasp hold of. So we're going to spend a lot of time after this just walking through those lessons from the upper room. He talked a lot about the role of the Holy Spirit in Genesis 14 and Genesis 16. He talked about servanthood, washing each other's feet. He talked about abiding in Christ, about the vine and the vine, vine the, the branches and the vine dresser and all of that. And there's just so many impactful uh, passages that we're going to look at uh, together. So that's coming up whenever we get through with this. All right. So, uh, we are talking about overcoming overload. Uh, I believe uh, that most families are overloaded and they feel overwhelmed. And I read a book years ago by Stephen Mary Farrar titled Overcoming Overload. And I picked that up recently and looked at it and I thought, this is just some really good stuff that I'd love to, to teach. And so, a lot of what we have here is adapted from the book. I, I, I kind of use their, their framework, if you will, but, but a lot of this is just some, some things I've included and added in. So it's, it's adapted, but it's not, if you read the book, it won't be, you know, word for word the same. But when we introduced this idea of, of being overloaded as families, we talked about three reasons we often feel overloaded and overwhelmed. We talked about the pressures of life. Life definitely has plenty of pressure, things that we need to get accomplished and need to get done, and, 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 and that pressure that we feel. The pain of life. If you, uh, if, if you live long enough, you're going to experience pain in life, sometimes great pain in life, and the pain of life can make you feel overloaded and overwhelmed. And we talked a lot about the pace of life. If you remember that, uh, life is so fast now, and and, and we're all trying to keep up with each other, and the pace of life has us feeling stressed and overwhelmed and overloaded. And so those are the three main reasons that we feel overloaded and overwhelmed. And really, at the root of all those issues are, are spiritual realities that we need to understand so that we're not tossed to and fro by life. And so we, we ask the question, what's the solution? All right, if, if, a, if a family is overwhelmed and feels harried and hurried and, and exhausted and frantic and anxious and fearful uh, and too busy. What, what's the answer for a family that is overloaded? And again, using the framework from the Ferrars, we said you need a Savior. We've already uh, shared that lesson uh, that Jesus gives you contentment and Jesus gives you peace and Jesus gives you abundant life. And if you have Jesus, no matter what life brings your direction, you have enough. So we talked about you need, needing a Savior. Tonight we're going to talk about needing a Sabbath. And then we're going to talk about needing a sanctuary, a place to get alone 
with God and away from the busyness of the world. You need sustenance. This means you need uh, the, the Word of God to feed you and to help you to grow in your faith and to sustain the, 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 the difficulties of life. You need supplication. That means you need to pray. You need to learn the, the, the discipline of prayer, which is a, is a mechanism God gives us to commune with Him. It's a mechanism God gives us to deal with the, the, the pressures of life. Uh, you need to simplify. We're going to talk a lot about that, about simplifying your life. Uh, that's really a, a lost discussion in the modern-day families. We're going to talk about what it means to simplify. And then you need a sovereign. You need to understand that no matter what happens in life, God is in control. Aren't you glad God's in control? God's in control. So, those, those are the solutions. So we're walking through those solutions uh, one by one, week by week. And tonight, we're going to have a really interesting, or it's interesting to me, I hope it's interesting to you, but a really interesting discussion uh, on the Sabbath. So let me pray for us. And then we will uh, dive right in. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are grateful, Lord, that because of the finished work of Christ, we can call you Father. We're just so grateful for that. We're so grateful, Lord, that you love us, that you watch over us, that you provide for us, you protect us, you are ever-present in our lives. You've promised, Lord, that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. And those are amazing realities. And Lord, I pray... Uh, that you would speak to us through your word tonight, that you would, uh, Lord, um, help us to understand these truths and help us to, to apply these truths. And I pray, Lord, that because we looked into your word tonight and your spirit opened our eyes to see the truths of uh, the Bible, that our lives would be transformed. So, Lord, help us uh, to, 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 as families, Lord, live before a watching world, a life of peace and abundance and joy, no matter the circumstances. And show us, Lord, the role of the Sabbath uh, in a, a healthy, balanced Christian life. And we will thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you are Coke drinkers? You're a Coke person. Are you a Coke drinker? Okay. How many? Any Pepsi folks out there? Any? Sure. Two? Okay, two Pepsi folks. All right, one. Okay, two Pepsi folks. Uh, I'm, I'm a Coke person. Uh, Claire and I, we, 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 we love Coke. Try not to overdo it, but man, we, 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 there's nothing like a, a glass bottle of Coke. I mean, there's just really nothing like it, is there? And years ago, uh, Coke had an advertising campaign. It basically, you saw somebody you know, pop open a Coke and drink it, and the phrase was, you, some of you remember this, the pause that refreshes. Yeah, you remember that. The pause that refreshes. And so the idea there is that drink a Coke, you know, take a, a, a time out in, the, in the, the busyness of life, and there is refreshment in that. Well, the Sabbath, the idea of the Sabbath, the principles of the Sabbath are, are, are helpful to us because in the Sabbath, God is giving us a gift, and that gift is a pause that refreshes. And I want us to see this in the Word of God tonight. So, Here's the first principle that, that we're going to look at as we think about needing a Sabbath. If you're going to deal with being overwhelmed and overloaded and all of that, you're, you need to have a Sabbath built in to the rhythm of your life. So, let's just talk about the background a little bit. What is the background of the Sabbath? Where does this idea of the Sabbath come from? And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. So turn there with me. Genesis chapter 2, we're looking at the creation narrative, 
Creation chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, that would be Saturday in our seven-day week. Sunday's the first day of the week. Seventh day would be Saturday. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he, what? Rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, question. Did God rest on the seventh day because he was tired? That's the right answer. God is omnipotent. That means God has all power, and he didn't need six days to create everything. He could have created everything in a millisecond. But he created everything in six days and took the seventh day and sanctified it as a rest day to establish a rhythm in, in the created order. And, and a rhythm that you and I need to have incorporated into our lives. And so you might say it like this, God didn't need the rest, God was providing an example. So that's the first insight we get into the Sabbath. And, and so God sets that example, and then if you look in your notes, God commanded commanded that his people observe a Sabbath day. So turn to Exodus 20. This is the the famous passage known as the Ten Commandments. And look what it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Exodus 20, verse 8. This is the fourth commandment. The Bible says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a, de- is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. So you're following God's example in creation of resting on the seventh day. You shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. Why? Because in six days, it says, verse 11, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So here it is in the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. God says, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. I I set you an example, set for you an example. When I rested after creating everything in six days, you need to follow my example. And on the seventh day, after you've had a work week, you need to rest. So the, the, the Sabbath was commanded by God. And we see God taking the observance of the Sabbath very, very seriously through the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, some folks get stoned for not keeping the Sabbath. That's pretty serious business, right? So God commanded that his people observe a Sabbath day. Now, the Sabbath was a day to rest and recharge. That's pretty clear because he uses the word rest there. The word idea of Sabbath is to pause. Look what it says over in Deuteronomy. This is another account of the same command. By the way, Deuteronomy means Deutero is second, and not onomy comes from nomos, which is law, so it, it means second law. And in Deuteronomy, we see the law, the Ten Commandments, repeated. Uh, so that was extra, all right? I won't charge you for that. But the, but the law is repeated here in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And look what it says in 
verse 15. You shall remember, this is in the context of of remembering the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. I'm sorry, verse 12, chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. There it is. You shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your ox, donkey, any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant, your female servant, may rest as well as you. So it's very, very clear on the Sabbath day, which God has set apart and made holy and commanded you to keep, you are not to do any work. Pretty clear, right? So it was a day of physical rest. It was a day to physically recharge, which God knew humanity would need. He knew that, that we would need that day. You see, every time we have to rest, we are admitting that we're not all-powerful, right? Have you ever thought about that? The very fact that you're going to go home and go to sleep tonight is an admission that you are weak, right? The idea that we need rest means we're not God. We are not all-powerful. We are created beings, and we are frail, and we need rest. And so the Sabbath was a day to rest and recharge. But the Sabbath was also a day to reflect on the Creator in worship. A day to reflect on the Creator in worship. So back to Exodus 20, you have to turn there. But in Exodus 20, he says, Remember, God set this rhythm for you when God created everything. In six days, on the seventh day, he rested. So on the Sabbath day, they were to remember that God created everything. That he created everything in six days and rested on the seventh. So the Sabbath was a day for God's people, the people of Israel, to reflect on the Creator, that God created everything. I like what the ESV Study Bible says about this idea. Every aspect of Israel's life is to reflect that the people belong to the Lord and are sustained by His hand. He's the Creator. He made us. He made everything. He sustains everything. And on the Sabbath, we're going to stop from the busyness of life and reflect on that reality. Also, the Sabbath was a day to remember God's deliverance. Now look what it says in Deuteronomy. There's a detail added in Deuteronomy that's not mentioned in Exodus, look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. Again, keeping the Sabbath day, in that context he says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. I like that. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So in addition to remembering that God created everything, on the Sabbath the people of Israel were to remember that God showed his power in delivering them from the slavery and bondage of Pharaoh and Egypt. And you, you know that story, right? God sent Moses to Pharaoh who had the Hebrew people as his slaves. And Moses said, on behalf of God, uh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, I'm not going to do it. And Moses said, you better do it. And he said, I'm not going to do it. And so God sent how many plagues? How many? Ten mighty plagues that decimated the land of Egypt. And finally, after God killed the firstborn in all the land, uh, except for those that had the blood over their door, a picture of the Passover in Christ, uh, after that happened, Pharaoh said, get out of here, leave. And 
And Moses led the Israelites, uh, about two million people by that time probably, out of slavery and they were free and they came to the Red Sea and Pharaoh changed his mind. And so Pharaoh gets his chariots and horsemen together and his foot soldiers and begins to to come after the, the Hebrew people. And right before they attack, God comes between them in a pillar of fire. Remember that story? In a pillar of fire and kept them at bay all night long. And then God parted the waters of the Red Sea And the Israelites walked across on dry ground. They had nowhere else to go. They walked across on dry ground. The next morning, the Egyptians decided to follow them. They began to go across the Red Sea through that same route, and God allowed the waters to to crash back over them and decimated Pharaoh's army. And so God delivered them from Egypt with great, great power. And it says in Deuteronomy, part of what I want you to do on the Sabbath is to remember God's great deliverance to celebrate the fact that God set you free. Now, there's one other thing I want you to see about the the background of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was intended, listen to this, to foreshadow spiritual rest. So God gave the Sabbath for a reason. He wanted to foreshadow or give the people a type of something that was to come. And the Sabbath was a foreshadowing of the, the spiritual rest we find when God redeems us through His Son, Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, turn to Josh, I'm sorry, Joshua. Uh, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, which talks about Joshua. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Look what it says in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should, should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he is somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And so he's saying the seventh day, the, the, the Sabbath day, the day when God rested and commanded his people to rest, is a symbol or a picture of the spiritual rest we find when we embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So rest is a metaphor for salvation. Now, question. Let's talk for a minute. Why would the Bible use rest as a metaphor for being saved? Talk to me. Why rest? When you're saved, you're, you're at rest. Why would, what's that metaphor communicate? Peace. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, peace. What else? Yeah, yeah, we're all looking for it, right? And you can only find it, that rest in Christ. What else do we, what else do we learn from that metaphor of rest? Be still and listen. Be still and listen. All right, relationship with God. If you're resting, what are you not doing? What's the opposite of rest? Work. And so, in other words, when you know Christ, you no longer have to try to work your way to heaven because you've received the gift of salvation. How many of you understand works don't save you? Only Christ saves you, and that metaphor of rest communicates that. And so he mentions here the Sabbath day, the day that God rested as a picture of the rest that we find in Jesus Christ. Look what he says down in verse 8. 
He says, now if Joshua would, get, would have given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. In other words, he's saying if the rest God was foreshadowing was the promised land, God wouldn't have talked about another kind of rest. Look what he says. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Isn't that good? In other words, if you know Christ, you don't have to work your way to be acceptable to God. You're, you're made acceptable by the finished work of Christ. So you can rest. The work has already been done by Jesus, right? So the day of rest was a picture, a foreshadowing of the spiritual rest we have in Christ. So wait, how can I have that rest? I won't rest. I want to know that I'm saved. I don't have to achieve it. I just receive it as a gift. How do I know I'm at rest? Have that peace with God, that relationship with God. Well, he said it there. Did you catch it in verse uh, 3? For we who have believed enter that rest. How do you enter the rest? You enter it through believing in Jesus Christ. Isn't that simple? But the Sabbath day was a picture of foreshadowing of the rest we find when we place our faith in King Jesus. So that's the background of the Sabbath. And that, that's why the Sabbath is such a big deal, because of what it provided for the people of, of, of God. You know, physical rest, a, a chance to reflect on their Creator and Redeemer, and a, a foreshadowing, a sign, if you will, pointing ahead to the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. So it was a big deal. That's why God placed such emphasis on keeping the Sabbath. Now, here's the the question that we all need to consider because we live in 2015 and we're uh, New Testament Christians. Are Christians supposed to keep the Sabbath? Are Christians supposed to keep the Sabbath? Or how are Christians to think about the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Well, I'm going to walk you through, I'm not, I'm not going to just give you the answer. I'm going to kind of walk you through a thought process to help us to arrive at, I believe, a, a balanced biblical answer to this question. Then we're going to get to some, some application, some really practical application for you and for me. But let's answer this question. Are Christians supposed to keep the Sabbath? Now, I got a lot of stuff. It's been three weeks since I've taught, all right? I got a lot of stuff, so just get comfortable. All right, here we go. The finished work of Jesus Christ fulfilled the shadow of the law. The finished work of Jesus Christ fulfilled the shadow of the law. In other words, the Sabbath pointed to the rest that Jesus gives, but Jesus came and died to purchase that rest. So the the fulfillment of the shadow has come because Jesus came and died on the cross. You say, wait, where are you getting that from? Well, turn to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Really important passage that gives us some great insight. New Testament, Colossians chapter 2, what it says in verse 16. He's talking here to to Gentile believers. And here's what was happening in the church in Colossae. Uh, Someone came into town at the Lycus River Valley and came to those different cities, Colossae and Laodicea and Hierapolis, and and began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And churches started. People believed in Christ and started churches in these cities. And, and everything was good. And a little bit later, some, some Jews would come into town, Judaizers. 
And they would say, okay, we understand that you've accepted Christ, that you're a, a, a follower of Christ. Hey, all that's great. That, you, good job. All right. But if you really want God to accept you, I mean, if you really want to be right with God, you also need to be circumcised. And you also need to keep the festivals. And you also need to keep the Sabbath day the way the Jews do. If you really want to be right with God. So they were saying, it's Jesus plus all these other things you need to do. Which is work salvation, right? And so a lot of Paul's letters are dealing with the Judaizers. He's saying, listen, it's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus Christ alone. And here's the point he makes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, let no one, the Judaizers, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. He said, don't let people try to convince you that you have to keep the Sabbath to be right with God. Look what he says next. Here's the reason why. These, the festivals, the feasts, the sacrificial system, the, the ceremonial law, the Sabbath day, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to who? Christ. Jesus fulfilled all of the shadows of the law. He fulfilled everything those, 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 those systems were pointing to. So here's what he's saying. If you got Jesus, you got enough. You don't have to go back and keep the law. You've got Jesus. He fulfilled the law. And that includes the Sabbath day. So the finished work of Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. You might say it like this. The Old Testament Sabbath given to the Jews in 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 the Ten Commandments was a shadow of Jesus. But Jesus is the substance of that shadow. So let's just say it's a sunny day and I'm outside and Claire walks up to me and because of the way the sun's hitting, there's a shadow on the ground. Now, would I try to get on my hands and knees and kiss the shadow? No, I guarantee you, I want the substance. Amen? I, I want to I kiss Claire, right? And, and, and if, if you try to keep the law to, to make yourself acceptable to God, it's like chasing shadows. You're missing the point. The shadows point to Jesus. You need Jesus, all of it, all the, the entire ceremonial, sacrificial, cultic law pointed to what Jesus Christ was going to do by dying on the cross to pay the price for the sins of the world so ruined sinners like me and you could be saved, right? So he's saying, don't, don't, don't worry about the shadows. You need to focus on following Jesus. Place your faith in him and just keep your focus on him. That's the point of Colossians. And he mentions here specifically the Sabbath as a shadow of the substance fulfilled in Christ. Now, here's what that means for us. So, and by the way, I just need to go and tell you on the front end, there's disagreement on this. So I'm giving you my view, okay? This is in my humble but most accurate opinion, all right? So, so listen, we are no longer bound to observe the Sabbath. Watch this the way the nation of Israel did. Don't miss, don't miss that second part of the sentence now. Don't walk out here and say, Wade said don't keep Sabbath, all right? We are no longer bound to observe the Sabbath the way the nation of Israel did. Here's an interesting fact for you. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, is the only one of the Ten Commandments that is not expressly repeated in the New Testament. All the others are repeated in the New Testament. 
They, 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 we're bound to them because if you didn't get in the Old Testament, the moral law, they're repeated in the New Testament. So there, there's no wiggle room there. But the command to observe the Sabbath the way the Jews did is not repeated in the New Testament. You can't find it. You can't find it. Because the shadow's been fulfilled by the substance, Jesus Christ. So we are no longer bound to observe the Sabbath the way the nation of Israel did. And in addition to that thought, we start observing something interesting in the practice of the New Testament church. The early church began the practice of observing Sunday as the day set apart to the Lord. Turn over to Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Acts 20, verse 7, I want to show you this. This is Luke talking here, and he says, On the first day of uh, the week there in uh, Troas, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them and he seemed to depart on the next day. He prolonged his speech until midnight. And so it's on the first day of the week they're gathered to break bread together as a faith family. Turn over to, uh, to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Look in verse 15, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow uh, worker and laborer. Oh, that's not the right verse. 16, chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, I was going to try to tie that in. I'm like, I have no idea how to tie that in. It's not the right verse. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. In other words, there are some Christians in need in Judea. They needed some financial help. So Paul was leading in a collection of, of offerings to help them. He says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside, stored up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So the idea there is, hey, you're together on the first day of the week. So that's the day you put your money aside to collect money for the saints. And as we look at church history, uh, they certainly understood that the apostles taught Sunday as the day set apart for the worship of the Lord. They began to call it the Lord's Day. And the reason Sunday became the day set apart for the Lord is because that's the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Right Early on Sunday morning, Jesus Christ rose. And the resurrection is such a big, big deal, a cornerstone of our faith. They said Sunday is going to be the day we get together and we celebrate the risen Lord Jesus. We are a resurrection people. And every time we get together on Sunday, we're declaring to the world, we are a resurrection group of folks. Right, And so there's this interesting shift in the New Testament. Instead of observing the Sabbath day, Saturday, the way that the Jews did, the followers of Christ, the, the New Testament church, begins to make Sunday, the Lord's Day, their day of, of, of setting apart, uh, a special set-apart day for the Lord. Which leads me to this statement. Just kind of hang with me, I'm kind of walking you through some thoughts. <clears throat> While we are not bound to practice a Saturday Sabbath like the Jews... We would be wise to observe the principles behind 
the Sabbath. While we are not bound to practice a Saturday Sabbath like the Jews, we would be wise to observe the principles behind the Sabbath. And so on the day that we set apart, which is the Lord's Day, it makes a lot of sense that that's the day that we practice the principles of the Sabbath. So we don't have a Saturday Sabbath like the Jews do. We don't feel we have to keep that to be right with God. Uh, but Sunday's that special day where resurrection people. And so why, why wouldn't we make that special set apart day a day where we practice Sabbath principles, which are wise and helpful and good for everyone on that day? So let me give you a summary statement, kind of bring you up to speed. As New Testament Christians, we are to observe the principles of the Sabbath day on the first day of the week. As New Testament Christians, we are to observe the principles of the Sabbath day on the first day of the week. I believe that's a good, balanced understanding of the Sabbath for Christians. So we're not just kicking the Sabbath to the curb. You got that? We're saying there's wisdom in the Sabbath. There are some helpful principles as a foundation of the Sabbath. And so while we're not keeping a Saturday Sabbath in the same way the Old Testament Jews did, living under the law, we are going to maintain those principles. And it makes sense that we maintain those principles on the day that we set apart to worship the resurrected Lord Jesus. Does that make sense? And so that's kind of the the shift we need to make in our minds concerning the Sabbath. I've given you there an excerpt from the Baptist Faith and Message, which is our statement of faith for the Southern Baptist Convention. This is from the Baptist Faith and Message of the year 2000, which is the most recent revision. And it says, The first day of the week is the Lord's Day. It is a Christian institution for regular observance. It commemorates the resurrection of Christ from the dead and should include exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private. Activities on the Lord's Day should be, watch this, commensurate with the Christian's conscience under the lordship of Christ. Read it again. Activities on the Lord's Day should be commensurate with the Christian's conscience under the lordship of Jesus Christ. In other words, observing Sabbath principles on the Lord's Day may may look different for you than it does for another family. And if the principles aren't Um, if the specifics aren't clearly spelled out in Scripture, then you can't hold the way your family does it over someone else's head and say, hey, this is how we keep the Lord's Day. You're not doing it like us. You're wrong. Unless you're dealing with with a, a plain text that says, don't do this or do this, if it's just the way your family does it under your conscience, under the Lordship of Christ, you don't hold up a conscience issue over another believer. Because it's up to them to observe the principles of the Sabbath on the Lord's Day in the way they feel honors the Lord Jesus Christ from their personal life. Does that make sense? So let me just make up a silly example. You might have someone that says, you don't cut grass on Sundays. You don't mow. You stay off the mower. That's work. And so you don't mow, you don't cut grass. On, that's, that's, and my family, we get home, we're not going to do any workout. We're going we're gonna to rest. We don't work. We don't mow. All right? I can tell you this. Some people find great relaxation in getting on the mower 
and going out and maybe clipping the hedges and doing a little gardening. They, 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 I don't know how, why they would find that relaxing, but, but they, would, they, they do. I mean, some people, they, they love just being outside, and for them, they are resting just as much as you are sitting in front of the TV watching football games, right? So we've got to be careful. Saying, don't mow. You shouldn't get on the mower. Was that in the Bible? If it's not in the Bible, then we've got to be real careful about making up commandments that just aren't in the Word of God because then we become legalists. And our tradition becomes more important than the, the revelation of God's Word. We've got to be real, real careful about that. Now, listen, if that's a conviction in your life, because you know that if you're on the mower, you're working and you're not unfocused and you're worn out and, and you're not resting, then don't mow. You're, you're doing the right thing. You're obeying uh, the Lord as your conscience uh, dictates. But you've got to be careful about holding those things over someone else's head. Because remember, we're not under the Jewish Sabbath anymore. That's a shadow that's been fulfilled in Christ. Now, if we were under the Jewish Sabbath, then we'd have another conversation because there's some specifics about how you observe the Sabbath and what constitutes work and what doesn't. And then the Jews added all these other commandments on top to make sure you were keeping the foundational commandments that God gave. They had, like I think, 600-and-something extra commands about how you keep the Sabbath day and don't, don't break it. Things like you, you shouldn't spit because if you spit, it might drown a fly, and, and, and that's taking life on the Sabbath. Seriously, that, those are some, some laws they had, they add, man-made laws they added to make sure, to, uh, kind of a fence around the commandments so that to make sure you were a long ways away from breaking the commandment of remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. But now as Christians, the Lord's day is the day set apart uh, for the Lord, and we are to, to, to make that a special day and observe that day, make sure we're incorporating Sabbath principles. We'll talk about that some more in a moment. Make sure you're incorporating them as your conscience dictates under the Lordship of Christ, but being very careful not to hold up your principles over someone else's life. Right? How many of you, in here, think it's awesome that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. Raise your hand. Is God prospering them? I mean, every time you drive by and it closes on Sunday, it's like, hey, man, they're honoring the Lord because that's a day they don't want any of their employees working, honoring the Lord. A lot of times we'll travel on a Sunday. We'll, I'll preach on Sunday morning. We go to Florida. We'll leave you know, to go see our family. We'll leave after church and drive that afternoon and evening, and it never fails. The kids want Chick-fil-A, and it's like, sorry, it's, it's, it's close, all right? It's awesome, and God's prospering Chick-fil-A, okay? Now, how many of you in the last two months have eaten out on a Sunday? Raise your hand. So you see what's happening there? We're all saying, go Chick-fil-A! Woo! Awesome! But we're going out to eat, aren't we? So how do you balance all that? Right? Who's right, who's wrong? Well, you gotta, you've got to observe the Lord's Day as conscience dictates and and set some standards for your family and your life that are going to work for you to make sure the principles of the sabbath not the sabbath itself but the principles are being lived out in your life because they're helpful and they're a gift from god all right so let's get into sabbath principles for christian practice okay what's this look like all right let's get let's get a little more specific sabbath principles for christian practice Number one, if you're going to observe the principles of the Sabbath on the Lord's Day, you need to rest from labor. You need to rest from labor. Now, here's the deal in America. We got it made because of the normal work week, most of us have two days to get this right. Right? 
We have Saturday and Sunday. It's the weekend, correct? And so in, in that normal work week, if we don't find time in there to rest, shame on us. Because we really got a little extra time. We got, we got an extra day that the Jews really didn't have, right? And so I believe that in your weekend, maybe on the Lord's Day, maybe Saturday, is the, but, but you need to make sure that, that in the rhythm of your life, you are building in physical rest, rest from labor. Now here's the deal, listen to this statement. If you don't take advantage of the time to rest, you will eventually break down physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Because you are not strong enough to handle life nonstop. You need to establish in the rhythms of your life rest time. So you've got to figure out what works best for you. Is it, is it, is it, is it riding on a mower on the afternoon? Is it... Is it going outside and, and uh, playing croquet? Is it, is, it, uh, is it watching football? Is it reading a book? My, my family growing up, uh, we, we, we took naps. It was like the 11th commandment. We'd get home and we'd eat lunch. And I'm not talking about just, you know, fall asleep on the couch. This is get back in the bed kind of nap. I mean, it was the real deal. I mean, the real deal. And, and we take good, good naps on Sunday. So I, still, I still like that, that, that uh, tradition, so I still try to keep it in practice when I can. But, uh, but what are you doing? Or, whatever it is, are you resting? And only you can answer that, all right? Are you resting? Are you building a pause into your life, a pause that refreshes? Because if you're going 100 miles an hour and, and you're not resting, then you are setting yourself up for overload, all right? And, and one day, you're going, to, you're going to crash. So rest from labor. So whatever works for you, you need to do it, all right? And we, we could go around this room, and we probably all give different ideas of what helps us to feel rested. You know, what kind of, here's a good way to think about it. You know, so much of life, you know, when we're working and we're busy in the week and, you know, you're, you're rushing out the door in the morning and you're trying to get, you know, your kids here and over there and you're trying to get meals together and you're trying to pay the bills and, you know, all this stuff going on, you know, really that, that stuff kind of drains our emotional tank and our physical tank. It just kind of drains you, right? Because you're, you're just you're busy trying to keep up with life. And so here's the question. What is it in your life that fills your tank? What fills your tank? What makes you feel refreshed? What makes you, what makes you feel good? Uh, I, I like, the I, I, thing that fills my tank is sitting around a table with my family eating dinner. I just love that. I just love it, man. I'll come home at night and Claire will have dinner ready and the kids will be around the table and we'll sit and talk about the day. And, and it just, when I do that, man, it just fills my tank up. It just does. All right? What, what, what fills your tank up? And whatever that is, you need to make sure you're building it into the rhythm of your life, all right? Sound good? Rest from your labor. I'll take questions in a minute if, you're, if you have some. I like what Marva Dawn writes. On that day, okay, our, which I would say, for the most part, the Lord's Day, where we practice the Sabbath principles. On that day, we do nothing to create our own way. We abstain from work and our incessant need to produce and accomplish from all anxieties about how we can be successful in all that we have to do to get ahead. The result is, I like this, that we let God be God in our lives. You need a day where you understand you are a creature, he's the creator, you are weak, 
He is strong. He is God. You are not. You need him. That pause helps you to, to grasp that. All right? So what helps you to rest? What fills your tank? Second, Sabbath principles for Christian practice. You need to make sure you're worshiping your creator and redeemer. Worship your creator and redeemer. Our Lord is worthy of our praise, devotion, and attention. And the principles of the Sabbath is, on that set-apart day for the Jews, they consecrated it for God. They worshipped God on that day. And the New Testament shows us the, the, the early church set apart what day? Sunday, the resurrection day, as the day to worship the risen Lord Jesus. That was the day that they gathered together. And so we need to make sure that, again, establishing rhythms in our life that we are setting apart a day where we worship the Lord. Now, God deserves our worship every day, right? I hope you worship Him personally on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays. But there is a special dynamic that you just cannot duplicate or replicate in your home that takes place when God's people get together. And I can't, I can't really even articulate it, but there is something that happens when a bunch of believers get together and, and focus their mind's attention and their heart's affection on Jesus Christ and sing praises to Him and study His Word and fellowship and encourage one another and support one another. There's a special dynamic that happens that... that Really, nothing can duplicate. And so, our Lord is worthy of our praise, devotion, and attention. You need to make sure that on that set-apart day, on the Lord's day, you are worshiping Him. Are there other things that happen on Sundays? Perhaps, perhaps. Let me just say this. If the other things are crowding out worship, you need to seriously Take inventory of your life. And we could just go down the list, couldn't we? A lot of it revolves around activities for our kids. You know, it used to be that Sundays weren't, weren't used for, for, for anything. Ball or, 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 or um, dance or, or anything. But now, you know, Sunday's just another day, right? Just a day to get some stuff done. And, and what's happened is, is that stuff begins to crowd out worship, and so it may be that you are creative with when you worship and how you worship and the times you worship. You know, there's so many options now with church times. You know, most churches have more than one service now. And there's so many options out there. But you need to figure out a way as a family to make sure that worship is a priority on the Lord's day. Because if it's not, think about what you're communicating to your kids. You're saying, we get to Jesus when we have some time left over. But what's the Bible say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So, Ed, why are you speaking to this? Because it's epidemic. Families are busier than they've ever been, and part of that is because Saturdays and Sundays, things don't slow down. They speed up. And instead of building rest and worship into the fabric of their lives, they're just chasing Stuff and things and, 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 and events and activities. And eventually, that will overwhelm you. 
And so make sure that you are worshiping your Creator and your Redeemer. Here's the deal. Weekly worship recalibrates our lives. You know, if you go to get some gas, you'll notice there's a little sticker. Uh, there's there's, there's uh, some folks that come by and they make sure that the that the, the gas pumps are properly calibrated, that they're charging you the right amount for the, the gas that you are getting. And they come and calibrate those pumps. They put a sticker to say, this has been officially inspected. It is properly calibrated. Well, listen, sometimes life just gets us out of whack, doesn't it? It just does. I mean, we get frenzied and busy and, and go through something difficult and we lose our focus. And what weekly worship does is, is worship just, gets, it just recalibrates you. Get your focus back in the right place. It, it puts, listen to this, it puts the rest of your life in perspective. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 73. And I love Psalm 73 because in Psalm 73, the psalmist is being very honest. He says something like this, you know, I'm trying to be faithful to God and life is hard. But I look over there at those folks and they don't care a thing about God. They've rejected God. They're just living for themselves and their life is great. They're rich, they're wealthy, they're at ease, everything they want to eat, live where they want to live. And so the psalmist is struggling with this. Their life looks good, their life looks happy, but they, they're ignoring God. I'm trying to be faithful and my life is very, very difficult. What's up with that? And the psalmist says, I struggled with this idea, he says, until I went into the temple to worship. Then... When he went to worship, he says, I perceived their end. In other words, God showed me the end of that kind of lifestyle. It looks happy and wonderful now, but if you live with your back turned to God, it will end in destruction. So why would you envy someone that's headed for destruction, right? Doesn't matter what they have. The end game is destruction. And if you're faithful to God, if you know the Lord, if you're a follower of His, the end game is is glory, (laughs) But the psalmist says, I didn't come to that conclusion till I went to the temple. And when I went to the temple, my, 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 my focus was recalibrated so I could see that clearly. See, worship gets you away from the principles of the world and gets your eyes on the principles of God's word, right? And we need it. I'm telling you, we're desensitized to just how bombarded we are with worldliness, And we've got to get back to that place of of focusing upon the Lord. Worship your Creator and Redeemer. It recalibrates our lives. Now, here's the last thing, and I'll take some questions, and then we'll be through. As you organize your life around a weekly day of rest and worship, you will find the outer and inner strength to deal with life's pressures. Remember, we're talking about being overloaded and overwhelmed. Now, I believe if you'll take God's principles seriously, which were a gift. Remember, Jesus said that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God gave man the Sabbath as a gift so they could rest and worship and recalibrate their lives. If you will organize your life around a weekly day of rest and worship, you will find the the outer and inner strength to deal with life's pressures. And I believe that with all of my heart. But if you don't, if you try to do life without that, that, that rhythm that God established, you're just going to feel overwhelmed all the time. Because that's not how God designed you to live. 